It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Race Haven Radio Show and Podcast, your source for solutions-focused dialogue about race in America, with your host, Scott Speed. My name is Dr. Scott Speed, and I appreciate you being here. This is Race Haven Live, and this is a show designed to be a dialogue where Race Haven listeners, I, and in today's show, John Costino as well, can learn and communicate towards, communicate our way towards collective solutions to the social challenges facing America. The agenda, as always, is to work towards the ideal of being one nation indivisible. If you agree with this ideal, then we have common ground and we want to hear from you. To join a dialogue, simply dial 929-477-4107 and press 1 to jump in and join a dialogue today. So before we get into it, I want to say hello to my friend, co-host, former business partner, Mr. John Costino. How you doing, John? Doing wonderful, Dr. Scott Speed. How are you today, my friend? I am doing well, doing well. Glad to uh, connect with you again to talk about, you know, add some critical dialogue to some of the issues that are being talked about in the mainstream media um, and kind of put our, our, our dialogue uh, spin on it. So I'm excited to be here and excited to, that you're able to join me, and uh, hopefully we'll get some, some callers. I know we had some um, – scheduling uh, challenges, but we'll see if anyone is still going to hang with us today. And if not, then you and I will hold it down and, uh, you know, we'll have a really good dialogue. I'm looking forward to it, sir. Awesome. So today's title is Race Haven Live, Colin Kaepernick's Unsigned and Why Scott's Boycotting the NFL. So we're going to jump right into it today, um, you know, in terms of, of what this show is all about. Uh, John and I uh, were joined last, I believe, about almost two weeks ago now uh, by Devin McMillan from War Room Sports, and we did a show where we covered a bunch of sports topics, um, including the fight between Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather, as well as Colin Kaepernick, Mike Vick, et cetera. And since then, Colin Kaepernick has been, you know, in the in the sports news, in the sports news pretty much daily, uh, because he still remains unsigned. And ESPN recently did, um, you know, just rolled out a bunch of statistics and showed how his overall QB rating uh, is better than about 20 other starting quarterbacks quarterbacks in the NFL, and his QBR, his quarterback rating, uh, was better than about 70-something backups and 
um, you know, 70-something of the backups because each team carries usually carries about three quarterbacks. So with that being said, um, you know, a lot of people wanted to put, the re- put to bed the idea that the reason he's not signed is because he's not good enough because his resume and the things he's accomplished as well as his career stats show that, uh, you know, someone typically of his talent would be on an NFL roster. So it li- basically it all leads to one thing. Colin Kaepernick remains unsigned because he kneeled uh, in protest. Initially he sat, and then he kneeled after, which I really respect, because initially he sat down during the, during the uh, national anthem in protest of the disproportionate killings of African Ameri- unarmed African-American people by law enforcement in America. And the statistics prove that out. You know, we've gone over that in previous shows. Uh, you could do some research there if you're not familiar. But the statistics prove that out. So with that being said, a, a, a Army veteran uh, NFL player, you know, had a conversation with him, and they actually dialogued. And, the, uh, you know, they came to a middle ground. Uh, you know, he explained to the veteran that he wasn't trying to, um, you know, offend veterans. But the veteran explained to him that a lot of people took it that way. So the veteran told him that one of the things they do is they kneel, um, you know, uh, in honor of the fallen and, and various things. So Colin Kaepernick agreed to kneel during the national anthem uh, as a sign of, um, you know, compromise and, and dialogue, which was very powerful in my mind. Um, however, there was still a large segment of Americans who could not get over the fact that he kneeled uh, and sat during the national anthem, even after he expressed, expressed, you know, why he was doing it and others came out to further articulate, articulate why he was doing it. So, and, and beyond that, plenty of fans went even further uh, to, you know, call up their team owners and let them know that they don't want Colin Kaepernick to be signed. And to this point, you know, whether it be the owners getting together, as some people say, the owners have gotten together and decide to blackball him from the NFL, or whether it be the owners just making a business decision, the fact remains is that Colin Kaepernick uh, is not on an NFL team right now. And because of that, a lot of Colin Kaepernick supporters, um, as well as just individuals who believe that, you know, he's being treated um, unfairly, are starting to talk about boycotting the NFL this year. Uh, Some have said if he isn't signed, and others have said at this point the damage is already done and they're not going to, you know, spend their money or show their support for what they believe to be a racist, um, you know, stance by team owners and, more importantly, the fans. Uh, you know, who've aligned themselves with calling these owners and owners have taken polls and fans have voted, you know, that they don't want Colin Kaepernick on their team and all these various things. So with all that being said, that's kind of a backdrop into what we're going to discuss today. Uh, Before I get into the reason why, you know, I'm choosing to uh, not watch the NFL this year, John, I wanted to give you a chance if you wanted to have any opening, you know, statements or remarks to kind of bring home, um, you know, a summary of, of where we are right now. Absolutely, and I, I love your position, and I love where you're coming from. Uh, as always, I probably will, you know, inflame the situation, but I'm going to say it a different way. I'm going to say that every single person, including myself, focuses on what's important to us. We can do our best as human beings to say we're open-minded and we're all these other things, but what it comes down to is all of us we focus and and really care most deeply about the things that matter to us 
And that, I believe, is the biggest problem in our society. And the reason I'm excited to do this call with you, specifically this call, is Colin Kaepernick, by, by taking it upon himself, and by the way, as I've said multiple times, I support him. I support him. Yes, I am a white male Trump voter saying I publicly support Cap. But what I want to point out is that what he did more than anything else is he shined a gigantic spotlight on the fact that all of us, including me, all of us are motivated and, and, and moved by what matters most to us, and it's completely unconscious. And him making this statement and standing his ground is going to shine that spotlight. And I believe if we're able to accomplish our goal, solve a huge root problem in our society. So I'll kick it back to you, but I'm excited to, uh, to talk about this. You know what, John, I appreciate that. And that's what I think is the benefit and what makes Race Haven special and what makes Race Haven different is that, you know, we take a critical look. We don't just uh, talk about the things that are, I guess, sensationalized. We try to bring a level of complex thinking, uh, critical thinking to a topic and, and not being afraid to explore those, uh, always in the direction of what's right, always in the direction of what's going to bring people together. And what I appreciate about what John is bringing out that, you know, this, you know, it's always been said, many of you may have heard it been said before, especially sports fans, that sports is a microcosm of reality. It's a microcosm of real life. And it absolutely is. You know, what happens, what we see happening, you know, through the, the lens of sports uh, can be applied to so many areas of, of real life and what's going on in the real world. And I think this is such a great case of that. And John, as you stated, you know, this really sheds a light on how you know, we all care about what we care about um, at different, and, you know, we kind of um, trumpet the issues that, you know, we, we uh, you know, amplify the issues. That's the word I was trying to look for, amplify the issues that are meaningful to us. And sometimes, you know, we don't in turn show that same level of support when it comes to, you know, issues that other people, um, you know, are, that they care about. And, you know, we're going to discuss about some, we're going to discuss some solutions to that during today's show as well. So I appreciate you bringing that out, John. Um, so, so what I'd like to do is, you know, there, after the last show and uh, what happened was I actually went on to Facebook and I uh, posted something about my choice to not renew my NFL Sunday ticket package uh, and that I would not be watching on network TV as well. And I went on to, you know, Facebook and I posted that. And, of course, you know, I got a lot of support in that decision, and I'm sure the people that didn't support the decision just didn't comment or like the post at all. So I'm not saying that, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people on my timeline that uh, with my stance. Um, and then, so what I want to do is I want to kind of share some of the comments and the feedback that uh, I received, and then John jumped in on some of the threads, uh, and, and, and I'm sure he has some thoughts. And we, I want to kind of unpack some of the feedback that I received and some of the questions and skepticism I received. I think it's good to unpack those things. And then I want to share with you a second post that I created after speaking with John uh, and thinking really deeply about, you know, the comments that he made during Race Haven episode 34, where John pretty much stated that he stopped watching the NFL, um, you know, prior to about five, six years ago, not, you know, like me making a decision once something really hits home with, in my wheelhouse of something I'm truly passionate about. But John stopped watching the NFL because he was, 
um, you know, upset about the just the criminal, um, you know, aspect of how the NFL – and, John, I'm going to let you put this in your own words. How, how about that, John? Let me kick it over to you. Can you share with all of us why you stopped watching the NFL five, six years ago? Absolutely. And, and I'll preface it by saying, again, um, this is never a, a comment of criticism or anything. I want everybody to feel comfortable doing what makes them feel right. But, Scott, you know I used to be just a gigantic sports fan. It was beginning to fade uh, back when we were working together in, you know, 2011, 12, 13, and so forth. But I really was, you know, growing up a tremendous sports fan. And what has saddened me more than anything that I could possibly uh, express is the fact that all major league sports, baseball, football, basketball, I don't really consider hockey a sport. I know that's probably a really another thing we can cover another time. But NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and the fact that for the last, let's call it 15 years, probably longer, but I wasn't paying attention, but the last 15 years, I've watched it deteriorate into if you are a talented athlete, we, we will overcome anything you do. You want to get busted repeatedly for cocaine abuse, we'll figure out a way to make it work. You want to have multiple DUIs, we'll figure out a way to make it work. All of a sudden, that wasn't enough. Then we had domestic abuse. And, see, I'm not talking, Scott, about the alleged cases because I'm the first one to say, hey, look, there's two sides to everything, and I don't believe somebody should be condemned just because somebody claimed it. But there are documented cases of, of women, either girlfriends or wives, that were physically beaten up, some captured on video, and yet it's okay. We're going to throw enough money at these people to say, oh, I forgive them. Guess what? That's not okay in my book. For the NFL, the NBA, or Major League Baseball to say, we're going to condone it because this person can throw touchdowns or run fast or tackle quarterbacks, it's not okay for me. Because to me what it says is we're going to create a society where if you've got talent and skill or money, because wealth is the same thing, we're going to just let you do whatever you want. You're going to be above the law, and we're going to celebrate you. And, Scott, that made me feel like the biggest hypocrite in the world. So I said, screw you to the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, because I couldn't invest any of my emotions, forget money, any of my emotions or recognition to organizations that were that hypocritical. And I'll end by saying this. It's a joke to me when I see the NFL do their Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and they all wear pink, when they all still clearly could care less if one of those guys beats his girlfriend, his pregnant wife, whatever, as long as he's talented enough, they'll find a way to make it okay. So to me, that hypocrisy is unacceptable. Back to you. That's why for me, you know, it it was a long time ago. So I'm glad that if people didn't get woken up by that, but Colin Kaepernick and what he's standing for was enough to make him wake up, God bless you. Welcome to my world. That's that's how we're going to affect change when enough of us say the behavior is unacceptable. Back to you, partner. You know, John, I appreciate that perspective. And, um, you know, you you really – that perspective really um, – it resonated with me because it made me really think about, you know, what I've tolerated. And it made me think about, you know, why did I wait until now to take such a stance that I said I, I, I refuse to watch the NFL. And, and I'm not afraid to admit the NFL is, and football is my favorite sport. It's my favorite sport. 
it's always been my favorite sport to uh, watch. And, um, you know, it was even my favorite sport to play before I started focusing on basketball growing up. But um, it's just my favorite. And I, you know, I chose, um, you know, to to just to continue to, you know, watch. And those other things that John just mentioned, yeah, when those cases came up, they bothered me, but they didn't bother me enough to make me want to turn my back on the entire league. I looked at it as like an individual case-by-case situation, and I felt like those players need to be punished, and it was a shame, you know, that they are still in the league for some of the issues that John's speaking of. Um, but it never hit me to the point where I said, you know what, I need to take a stand for women because too many uh, players are continuing to get signed and that, are, you know, have these sketchy backgrounds in terms of, you know, their treatment of women. And, you know, I made a statement on Facebook. I said, you know, having that conversation with John made me realize just how sexist I am. And I'm one of those people that believe that it's impossible to come up uh, in society the way society has unfolded, the way, you know, historical perspective has allowed, you know, with, 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 with historical perspective, the way that society has unfolded with the systemic structures that have been in place, you know, um, we all know that. Uh, well, I'm sorry, we don't all know this, but from my perspective, based on how I understand things, uh, I think it's impossible not to be racist, and I think it's impossible not to be sexist. We have a male-dominated, you know, society, and we have a, a, a people of European descent-dominated society, uh, and a society that was built in the image and in the in the image and in the interests um, of you know men and more specifically European. Um, men of European descent, uh, you know, just because of history, colonization, et cetera. So with all that being said, uh, you know, I think it's impossible. You have to be conscious to try to fight back some of the biases that we are all indoctrinated with and that are all very subconscious. So with that being said, I, I know that I'm sexist. I just, it just brought out another level of how sexist I am, you know, through that conversation. And I say I'm unintentionally. I believe it's a subconscious thing because I'm not intentionally you know, sexist, it's just a subconscious, you know, biases that just exist. So with that being said, um, even as someone who's conscious of these things and someone who tries to, you know, work on my biases, and I'm constantly checking myself on my, on my implicit biases uh, around uh, ethnicity and around, you know, sex, this, this statement and this whole situation with the NFL just brought out another level of that uh, for me. So, um, with that being said, you know, again, I appreciate John bringing it out. And what I want to do now is I just want to share a couple of things that was, uh, you know, posted on Facebook. And I also want to bring to light an article that I asked John to take a look at, and we're going to dissect that as, as well. And I think that will bring out some, uh, you know, some good, some good dialogue. There was an article by, by a gentleman by the name of Alan B. West. And Alan B. West, um, I believe, and, and John, you may know a little bit more, but it's from my understanding, he's a, a really um, he's an African American man who is uh, a conservative Republican, and he speaks out. He's also a veteran, and he's someone who has a really high profile um, political profile on the conservative side of the aisle, and he speaks out, you know, against a lot of things that go on in society. But you know, he's he's especially has this this stance that he takes when he calls himself an unoppressed black, unoppressed black man. And I say that, that I think he takes that stance to kind of, you know, show that you can be African-American and not consider yourself oppressed. 
And so his views are, are, are in line with a lot of the conservative views um, that I at least see in the media. And I know, you know, all conservatives aren't the same, but I would say the loud uh, conservative views um, uh, that are out there. So he wrote an article that says, I can no longer remain silent on Colin Kaepernick. And he talks about, you know, he goes into how he feels about it, and I'll save that because we're going to kind of dissect that article. It's a very short piece, but I want to – I think it brings out some good things for dialogue. So before we get into what Alan B. West had to say, I wanted to start out with one of my Facebook friends had to say uh, under my post. And, and just to, um, gener- to um, I guess, um, summarize what he had to say, he said basically that Colin Kaepernick is unsigned because the owners believe that he's a distraction. And he would, you know, the owners believe that he would be a distraction and that that would potentially impact, you know, ticket sales as well as sponsorship. So let's start right there, John. Let's just, let's just dialogue and go back and forth about your response and my response and, you know, that what do you think when someone says, you know, the reason he isn't signed is because he would be a distraction, and especially from a standpoint of, you know, I get it, I understand. He's not signed because he would be a distraction. Well, I would say, you know, let's, let's dig deeper than that because, you know, the reality is, and again, I know this is a repeat of, of things I've said in the past, but, you know, everything's about money. Everything's a risk-reward decision in life. And the NFL is a business. Each franchise is a business. And sadly, each freaking player now is its own little, you know, celebrity slash marketing business. And so – to use the phrase, he's a distraction, I think what they're saying is, all right, if we sign him, the risk is, A, a divided locker room and disgruntled players. So they're probably secretly communicating to see how some of the star players on a team would react to his signing. And then the overall um, response to the fans and the media in that town. Is it going to be a forgiving decision or is it going to be a – an inflammatory decision because bottom line is they don't want a media circus. Think about like the silly things that happened when Tim Tebow was, uh, was trying out for the NFL and things of that nature. So a lot of coaches, they just don't want media around. They don't want the distractions and that's legitimate if they're trying to, you know, train a team. But the bottom line is I think Scott, it just comes down to we'll take the risk if the reward is great enough and they don't know how to gauge that. They know he's got talent, but they just don't know, what the, the repercussions are going to be should they bring him into camp and have the media circus. I mean, bottom line is, that's all we'll see on, on ESPN. I don't even watch ESPN anymore, but that's all we'll be on every ESPN show for weeks, the Colin Kaepernick saga at training camp and preseason. So that's how I would take that comment of, you know, they, they don't know how to, uh, how to gauge that. So I agree with you that, you know, all the reasons around business that you mentioned um, is a reality. But like you said, to take it a little, bit dif- a little bit deeper, you know, for me, what really is hurtful to me and what I gauge is hurtful to a lot of, uh, a lot, not all African-American people, um, is, that the heart, is that is the heart of what he is protesting for is something that is a major issue. And, again, you, we, we do not arrive to 2017 in a vacuum. If you've listened to this show, you hear me say this a lot. There's historical precedence and there's historical context to everything. And 
The fact of the matter is African-American people who are descendant of enslaved Africans have had to endure um, either personally or just as a group, um, whether it be in present day or generational pass down, have had to endure, um, you know, mistreatment and just an overall, uh, you know, second-class citizenry, um, you know, feeling in this country. And one of the ways that that has been done in terms of demoralizing African-Americans um, many years ago um, was through lynching to instill fear. And a lot of African-American people, not all, but a lot, will tell you that the way that they feel when it comes to the, uh, the murder, the, the killings um, of, of unarmed African-Americans at the hand of law enforcement uh, a lot of people will tell you that it's a form of modern-day lynching. And the reason they feel that way is because, you know, at the turn of the century up into the 1950s, lynching was a very common practice in America. And the people who committed these acts of murder, literally murder, were never tried for it. They were never – I'm sorry, some of them were tried, but they were never convicted, and many were never even tried. Like, you literally just – you had free, you know, reign – to kill African-American people in America, you know, and a lot of people, you know, don't understand the gravity of that. They don't understand, you know, and if you've never been in my position and you don't, if you haven't grown up as an African-American, um, you know, you have to just take my word for it. And even if someone like an Alan B. West who says, you know what, those things don't affect him, you also have to respect that everyone's different. And it's not that all African-Americans are the same or one person even one person speaks for all of us, because I don't speak for every African-American. However, when you hear an African-American like myself express these certain acts feel a certain way to me or others, you know, to get the pushback of, oh, you're playing a victim or, oh, you're, you know, et cetera, et cetera, it is extremely, you know, it's just a, ex, extremely, um, you know, just mean and, and extremely, it lacks a, a level of, um, you know, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm stuttering here because I'm in the middle of this and I'm, I have a little side distraction. So thank you for sticking with me, uh, guys, because I'm trying to think about what I'm talking about, but I have a distraction too. If, um, I won't even tell you what it is, but just to be honest and, and, and clear with you all, I'm trying to maintain my train of thought while dealing with the distraction. So, but anyway, I'm going to ignore the distraction for now. Um, to come back to what I'm trying to say, and John, if you, you can feel some of the words I'm trying to say, you could definitely jump in and help me out with what I'm trying to convey. But um, it's, an, it's extremely, again, it's just the best word I can come up with right now is just mean and just lacks a level of compassion and understanding and empathy. Um, so when I tell you that for me personally, it hurts bad, really, really bad when I see a story and there's so many of them, and I can only throw out some names, but there's been many in my lifetime alone. In the last 15 years, there have been many cases and many instances of, you know, unarmed African-American people being killed at the hands of law enforcement, and those law enforcement were, uh, individuals were never tried or weren't convicted. If they were tried, they weren't convicted, and basically they, had, they got to walk away for free. Uh, they got to walk away and be free, similar to, you know, what used to happen during the days of lynching. And, you know, Tamir Rice comes to mind, and, and a lot of people have seen that video of this little 12-year-old boy who was killed. Literally, a police officer jumped, jumped out the car and within, like, one and point something seconds just shot and killed this kid who had a BB gun in his hand. So 
just that's one that comes to mind, but there's so many. So with that being said, um, you know, with that being said, when these cases come up, um, and, 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 and when it goes back to Colin Kaepernick, the bottom line is that's what he was protesting, okay? That's what he was protesting. He's protesting killing of unarmed individuals without due, you know, without the whole due process, et cetera, et cetera. These police officers are taking, you know, judge, jury, executioner, and things into their own hands, and it's happening so much. It's happening so much that it's, you know, it's a problem. And that's what he's protesting. So for when someone says he's a distraction, the way that someone like myself takes it is that people are basically saying that let us have our football, get out the way, because you caring about those people being killed is a distraction to us. And that's very hurtful. And for me, it's a problem. You know, it's, it's a problem that we can't, um, you know, understand or have the level of empathy or tolerance, et cetera, to be able to separate the fact that he wasn't kneeling to disrespect the flag or the country. He was kneeling to raise awareness for a serious, serious problem that he's hoping that people will open their minds to and try to understand so that we could work towards solutions. So for, you know, people to take the stance that he's a distraction, it just says a lot to me. It's like, yo, what does that say about us as a country? What does that say about a large segment, not all, but a large segment of Americans who feel that he's a distraction? And then finally, before I let you jump back in, John, the whole idea that it's his, his um, you know, heightened awareness about these killings and wanting to raise a dialogue about these killings whether you agree with the way he did it or not, the fact is he did it, okay? He did it, and it gave us an opportunity to address an issue and for it to be weighed against how much billionaires are going to make versus a real issue in this country. For me, the underlying issue is that that's, that, that sentiment, money and profits over people, sentiment that rules this country and ultimately a lot of developed places in the world, that's what disgusts me, and that's ultimately what I'm protesting. So, John, I'm going to kick it back over to you and stop talking, and I apologize to the listeners for that, again, for me pausing and stuttering and not having my thoughts clear because I was being distracted. But, John, let me, let me punt back to you really quick. Uh, do you have any thoughts about my perspective? Absolutely, and, and, and this is where I'm going to repeat what I said earlier. Without, It's not criticism. It's not judgment. It's, it's the overall – fact that we each individually only care about what we care about. And what I mean by that is let's you and I remove ourselves and our personal opinion and feelings. Let's do that. Let's remove that. And let's talk about that issue. I'm 100% in agreement with you. 100%. No dispute whatsoever. But I'm going to take it to a different level. And I'm going to say, okay, I 100% support CAPS decision to stand up for it. It's not about right or wrong. It's 100% support. Let's back it up, though. Why didn't he or anyone else, so again, not criticism of him, why didn't he or anybody else get pissed off enough when the video of Ray Rice punching in her face, this was one of those, there's no bullshit, this is alleged, we'll never know. You know which one I'm talking about, a video of him punching, uh-huh. knocking out his 
No one, no one stood up and said, that's bullshit. We're not accepting it. Everybody did the same exact thing. Well, he got, what, what did he get? Initially, he was banned from the league, and then they spent another year trying to figure out how to bring him back, what will happen if they bring him. Instead of everybody saying, this is bullshit. We don't beat up women, especially when we're gigantic, muscle-bound, freak-of-nature men. It'd be bad enough if he was a 145-pound guy doing that. So my point, Scott, is it's not to uh, in any way disrespect or minimize what he's standing for right now. I'm just saying, holy crap, why didn't anyone say anything then? And my point of that is we as a society don't give a shit. As a society, people only care what matters to them, and it's all unconscious. It doesn't make any one of us bad people. It just means we really are selfish and self-centered, and if it doesn't affect us, we don't care. So I love that Cap taking this stand has pissed the world off enough to say, guess what? It's wrong to kill innocent, unarmed black people. But guess what? It's wrong to kill anyone innocent unarmed and then it's it's wrong to beat up i mean like where do we stop and say wait a minute there's a whole bunch of shit that's wrong that we've just ignored that's why i get fired up scott because it's like it feels like the rest of the world is finally starting to get pissed off enough to wake up and say holy crap we really are brainwashed programmed to be entertained and ignore real issues. And I'm not, like I said, on any way minimizing the, 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 let's just call it what it is, murder of unarmed black people. I'm saying that's part of a bigger problem that we must solve. It can't just be one piece or the other. Is that making any sense? It makes sense. It makes sense. Um, and I know at this point, because of the conversations I've had, and this actually is a good segue into one of the comments that you jumped in on in Facebook, um, that oh, some yeah. people just I'm can't understand how we are correlating the two. Some people don't like the fact that they – I know that some people listening right now are like, John is diverting from what we're really talking about. Which is, um, which is such and a this chicken is shit answer because I'm not diverting. I'm stating publicly I support it, but that's a case of proving what I'm saying. They're going to hear what they want to hear because they only give a shit what's important to them. And I know that pisses people off, but good. Get pissed off like cap, and let's all grow and be more aware. I'm not minimizing well, it, and I'm not diverting it. I'm making it a bigger issue. Right. And so for me, what I tell people in this situation is that it doesn't have to be an either or. It could be a both and because they ultimately – the root of everything that we're talking about is exactly the same, and we're going to get to that in more detail. You've touched on it a little bit already. The root of all of this is the same. So for you to bring this out, I don't have a problem with – I believe that one of, the, um, one of the reasons why we continue to struggle with so many issues in society that we struggle with is because we lack – uh, generally speaking, a lot of us lack the ability to process complexity. And, you know, it's when, when you're stretched out of your comfort zone, when you're stretched into thinking about things in divergent ways and ways that you're not normally used to thinking about them, you know, you will, you know, you'll, you'll say things like that. And I just want to, you know, encourage people uh, to, to hold the tension and, you know, create space for divergent ways of looking at a problem hold space for 
uh, complexity and hold space for people who have differing perspectives. You know, and that's what dialogue is all about, and that's what Race Haven wants to model. We, want, we don't want to get into a tit-for-tat. We want to get into the idea that everyone's perspective has value because, what, you know, everyone has, you know, different things that mean different things to them, and we all have our issues, some of them, you know, that resonate with us more than some issues, and others have certain things that they focus on, et cetera, and there has to, we have to get to the point where we can all respect and get behind and support people in whatever the issue that it is that they're trumpeting and not minimize, you know, and make them feel like their issue is, is smaller than ours and, and vice versa. So with that being said, I want to jump into one of uh, another Facebook friend of mine, you know, when I brought this out about the, uh, the, the, the women being abused, uh, this friend of mine said, he said, that's cool to admit, but don't let feminism interfere with what Africans, Africans in America are up against. Because in all honesty, that movement you're speaking of is represented by and for white women, not all women. So when that comment came out um, by a friend of mine, that really um, threw me for a loop because I wasn't really speaking about a movement. And, you know, again, we're reading words on, you know, on a computer screen and, you know, it lacks context sometimes. And people, you know, again, just depending on where they are, those are the, that's the way they're going to respond. Depending on, you know, the lens that they're reading your comments through, you know, we're going to respond based on where we are. So that friend just happens to be in a position where, and, and I may be wrong, but his thing is, you know, the issues that African-Americans are dealing with um, need to, to just be that. And we can't focus on other movements or other issues when we're speaking up about African-American issues. And that, that is, you know, to summarize, I, I think is the sentiment behind his comment. And this is a really good friend of mine, but I couldn't disagree with what he said more. And, and I stated that. Uh, in so many words, because one, um, you know, I think it's all interrelated. You know, all the social issues <clears throat> that we have, you know, are all interrelated. And I think that a lot of times we we focus so much on, you know, the the events or the people that we don't see the bigger systemic forces at play. And, you know, John has hinted at it, I've hinted at it, and we're going to hint at it a few more times. But at the end of the day, if you follow the money, you know, you'll see why, you know, things continue to unfold the way they do. And because the way, in my estimation, and based on my perception of things, because, again, because of the structural foundation of society as a whole from before, I mean, and, and I've done a lot of research on the origins of, of all this stuff, like even before America was founded, like the, the societies have been built on, you know, concept of patriarchy, you know, where men you know, are, you know, men are in control and men rule, et cetera. So that creates sexism. In turn, that creates sexism because sexism, uh, you know, and behaviors around sexism and the, the stereotypes and the beliefs and the behaviors and the words, et cetera, and the actions um, that, that suppress and oppress women in a, a, a myriad of ways um, continue to keep men in power, again, in a myriad of different ways. That's one way of putting it, okay? Now, what does that power represent? Oftentimes, that power represents, you know, status as well as money, money positions, right? Positions of power equal money and status, et cetera, you know? And so that's why sexism, okay, it, gets, it gets tied to the whole thing about the money. And then when you talk about uh, what we're talking about with Kaepernick, again, the root of it is these owners don't want to lose money. 
Well, guess what? African-American people only make up 13% of the citizens and the population in this country. 13%. That's a very small percentage. So with that being said, if, if African-Americans only make up 13%, the largest percentage of the NFL's fan base are European-American men. So they are going to make decisions that align with most, not all, of the ideals and awarenesses of European-American men. And for a lot of European-American men, the whole ideal behind patriotism and the flag and all those various things have been ingrained in them, for, again, for a myriad of reasons, to where that is such an important thing that they felt slighted Regard and the fact that they are European American men, they don't necessarily have to expend the energy to dig into the reasons behind why Kaepernick was protesting because they have the things that they're challenged with and dealing with in their lives, which ultimately a lot of times go back to the need to go out and make money and support a family or, or build businesses or whatever it is that weighs on people, that creates stress, and they look at their sports as a release from all of that. So the last thing they want to do is have the thing that is their release be the thing that also makes them have to learn something or, you know, expend the energy to learn something that's outside of their daily reality. It requires energy to do that, and we all know it. So with that being said, again, it all leads back to the same thing. It leads back to our power structures, it leads back to what makes money. It leads back to what makes money. So underlying all of this is that the way our society is structured, the way history is unfolded, the most prudent decisions <laughs> that get made all get made to maintain power and money, power and money. So that means any minority or any person that isn't a, Euro, a person of European descent and a male, your, your, your sentiments, your ideals, your awarenesses aren't as important to that power structure and the flow of money in the world and in the country. So I know I said a lot. I hope it makes sense. That's why, you know, I tried to articulate that to this friend on Facebook that that's why it's interrelated. And does that make sense what I tried to articulate, John? It does, absolutely. And if you have a different take on it, by all means, please share. Well, I just, um, and, and I apologize because I know that there were multiple threads and some of them were on your personal page and some of them were on the Race Haven. So if this is not the one that I was commenting on, please feel free to correct me. But, you know, there was a comment made and I had to respond to it because, again, it's offensive to me and I don't, judge people or criticize them, but I try to say, hey, look, let's, let's try to all be on the same page. And it was the statement that it only affects white women who are abused. And, and that's when I had to say, okay, I need to be clear on this. I'm against domestic abuse, period, for all women. I referenced point blank Ray Rice and his wife, who is African-American, and it's insulting to me when an African-American just assumes that I'm some white guy and I only care about white issues, when I couldn't be more clear, to me that is just as dangerous as, you know, any white 
racist rant or, or thought process. And I think we finally resolved it, you know, as, as amicably as we could. But, you know, to me, that's part of the problem. You know, Scott, this, again, is not about an either-or. You made a point that I want to re- just basically reinforce. It's not about an either-or. And if we as society, it's up to us. If we as society decide we're still just going to stay, you know, divided and we're going to say, well, I don't give a shit about that. I only give a shit about this. And they're both wrong. And we, we don't come together and say that's wrong and that's wrong. And together we're going to say we don't accept it. Then nothing's going to get better. Because if we stay separated and we stay in our own little issues, which is my premise at all times, people only care about what matters to them, then if that, if that individual and, and others listening to my voice right now getting pissed at me are going to say, you don't understand what it's like to be African-American and therefore I don't care what happens to any other segment of society, you're no better than the people that are causing the problems because you're helping to perpetuate them. We either all have to come together and say, we're not accepting any of this, you know, lack of human decency to any race, to any gender, period, to any, any segment, divided any way you want. Right is right, wrong is wrong, and we can't pick and choose. If we do, then we are no better than the people perpetrating the things that are wrong. We're saying, oh, that abuse is okay, but this abuse is wrong. That killing is okay. This kill- Where do we draw the line? So, Scott, I, I know I'm like a wild man ranting on this, but I want people to either wake the hell up or feel free to get pissed at me. But either way, you're not going to stay asleep and say, I only care about black lives, but I don't care about women's lives. And vice versa, I wouldn't allow someone to say, I don't really care about the African-American community. I'm more worried about, you know, cancer or I'm more. No, these are all big problems that have got to be identified and then addressed. Otherwise, we're never going to solve it. And we're going to stay a very segmented, divided, angry society, which is the only reason I come on here is to try to affect a positive change along with your efforts to make this a better society where we all get along. We don't even have to agree. No, I can't, we just I can't, have to get along. I can't agree more, John. And just to be candid, for me, you know, I reject that love that that line of thinking um, very much. So, and I think that that's a part of the problem because, you know, really, you, you know, for me, it's a very simple formula for all of us, you know, coming together as a society, and it's tolerance and empathy. Like literally, tolerance and empathy, and then we'll add to that learning the skill of dialogue. Because once you get to once you get to tolerance and empathy, um, you know, then you're able to listen and tolerate anyone's, you know, situation, point of view, and perspective, and understanding that, you know, we're all diverse and we all have different issues and we come from different perspectives. But if you can tolerate that and then try to empathize with people, which requires listening before you speak, before you try to impose what's important to you. If you show empathy, then that's the starting that's the starting point for for dialogue. And then beyond that, it requires dialogue. And again, for me, what it all boils down to, with everything we're talking about, and with the next thing that I'm going to bring to the forefront with that um, Allen B. West article, is that we have a society that is a debate-based society. It's my side, my side wins or your side wins. We've all 
been indoctrinated into this winner takes all, you know, um, individualist, you know, society in the sense that, you know, I'm not someone, I believe that we're all in one sense, and this requires complex thinking, we are all individuals, and I believe that we all should be respected as individuals and honored as individuals, but I believe as individuals that we have to come together and form and, and figure out how to collaborate as a collective. So I believe that there can be both. I believe that there can be both. been indoctrinated into this, you know, there's winners and losers. There's A students and F students. And the reality is I feel like if we all collaborated on every level, within every system, within everything we're talking about, within every issue in society, and we listen to one another, here's dialogue again, the tenets of dialogue, we listen to one another empathetically, and then we compromise, give a little, take a little, and then we come up with win-win solutions that everyone can feel good about. And that's very much possible. It is so possible. So I definitely reject the line of thinking that my friend put forth in talking about that's an issue represented for white women, not all women, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I, I reject that line of thinking, and I believe at some point we all know how, you know, history has unfolded. And in a lot of instances, there have been, and I wasn't even speaking about the feminist movement, so he kind of injected that, and that wasn't my aim. Uh, I wasn't speaking about the issue, from, the issue from that level. And I can't really speak intelligently on the feminist uh, movement uh, because I haven't spent a lot of time really researching the history of that. Um, I, I will say that I know originally, yes, I know originally in the 1800s when the feminist movement, movement originally started that they did neglect and reject African-American women joining. I do know that. But, um, and I'm not saying, again, I haven't researched and to understand it up until the present. So I don't know where he was coming from with that, so I just want to make that clear. However, personally, I reject any intolerance. I don't think you fight intolerance with intolerance. That's just not, that just doesn't make sense. You don't fight intolerance with intolerance. So that's never my aim. So that's, that's how I feel about that. So I, I also wanted to um, address another sentiment from another angle because I know a lot of people feel this way. I had another friend, you know, reach out, and this is what he said. He said, um, he said, fellas, someone really needs to explain this boycott, the NFL thing to me. We, we're acting like they cut everyone that protested last year, but they didn't. They didn't even cut Kaepernick. He opted out of his, his contract. And we are acting like we are all not subject to consequences if we decide to stand for what we believe in at our, work, at our place of employment. He said, take my job, for instance. How long would I last here if I decide to protest injustice in the lobby instead of doing my job? Kaepernick deserves all the credit in the world for taking his stand because he knew there would be backlash, but the NFL is doing what any other job would do if we decide to make an at-work protest. John, you have any, any sentiments on, on that perspective? And you don't have to. It may be redundant in what you may want to say. I was going to say it just reinforces. I mean, the bottom line is he did know. He did know. I respect him for this. He did know there was going to be repercussions. I mean, Scott, you know, I talk about this all the time. My knee-jerk reaction to what he did was, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, shut up. Honor the flag. Stand there. You know, you don't have to agree, but do your job. Like, don't, don't make waves. That was my knee-jerk reaction. But I don't speak out on my knee-jerk reaction anymore because I really have learned 
to do the research and find out the why. And as you and I talk, and I learned that the why was not what it appeared to be, it was real easy to understand, wow, this dude really has some courage because he's going to get just knocked left, right, and upside down by everyone, but he's standing for something he believes in. So, yeah, um, it, it, it makes sense that he's getting the flack, but it does not make it acceptable that he doesn't have a job because that, like we discussed at the very beginning, is clear. He's more talented, and if he says yes, and he's made it clear, I will not be a distraction. I will not cause any. I want to play football. That's all you need to know from him. Make it a contingent contract. Everybody knows he's not going to start right away. Give him a contract. Let him come in. If he creates waves, have a clause in there that he can be cut. But he's not in there because of a, a collective decision, not because he, he opted out or because he's not talented enough. I, I could not support what he's doing more, and I could not be more frustrated that he's being blackballed specifically because he's exercising his right as an American to say, I don't support this, and I'm using my celebrity to speak out against it. God bless him. I think he's got more courage than anyone else right now. Yeah, so that's that's really my – so I want to say this. Uh, again, my, my issue with the sentiments uh, that were expressed in this, in this comment from another friend of mine, you know, when he talks about um, we are all acting like we are not subject to consequences if we decide to stand for what we believe in and our place of employment, I want to say that I agree with that, but I don't think it's fair to compare – you know, uh, the everyday job to a pro, a pro athlete because, you know, there's precedent for pro athletes, you know, taking stands against things because of their platform. And as there's also precedent for the leagues themselves, you know, pr- basically protesting. You know, when you're, you know, the breast cancer awareness thing, I mean, that's a protest. Breast cancer takes lives. So the league is raising awareness. A protest is raising awareness for an issue. So breast cancer takes lives, um, you know, at a, at a, at a rate that, that's harmful to a lot of people and it, it hurts families, et cetera, et cetera. Well, guess what? When people get killed that are unarmed and it seems like uh, one, one ethnicity who only makes up 13% of the country is getting the brunt of that. It's not even what it seems. The fact is, is getting the brunt of that. Guess what? There's an awareness that wants to be, that, that needs to be raised. For that, and, and the athlete who has a platform to do so chose to do it. So that's one thing. And then this person went on to say, you know, if I decide to, um, you know, protest in the lobby instead of doing my job, well, I take issue with that statement as well because Kaepernick did not, uh, like, protest and sit out a game. He simply took a knee before the game. So that's another thing that people, you know, you got to be careful with your words there that I want to point out. And then, um, you know, the last thing is that, you know, he, he went on to say, you know, there would be backlash, but any of our jobs would do this if we decide to make a protest at work, et cetera. And, again, um, it's, it's hard to compare, you know, an athlete with an everyday uh, average, you know, employee for the reasons I've already stated. And I just think that, you know, too many people are, like, the, the, this whole, the whole tone of this, this comment from a friend of mine is like stay in your place. And my thing is what bothers me about that stay in your place sentiment is that too many people are like, I don't want to rock the boat. And it's like, well, when it comes to issues 
And again, because our country is set up the way it's set up to be a debate-based society, and it's not a society that's built on dialogue and listening to one another and actually honoring, you know, what the country was founded on, you know, one nation uh, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, if, if, if the nation was actually, you know, uh, empathetic and tolerant to their own ideals, you know, from a large level in terms of speaking, if anyone felt like they weren't receiving liberty and justice, everyone would want to say, well, how can we help make that happen? But that's not what happens in this country because we're debate-based. So if someone says something that's different than what your innate ideals are, you, gotta, you're, you, you inherently have to fight back because that's what our politicians model, that's what our schools model, that's what our whole society is built on, fighting back against each other instead of listening to one another, rallying behind the issues that other people care about to make sure that everyone feels like they have true liberty and true justice. Like for me, it's like a no-brainer. So I get bothered personally when people want to take that sentiment like, hey, don't rock the boat. Well, guess what? John, you mentioned it earlier. We all have different issues we care about. But, again, we have so many resources in this country that there's enough for people to get behind. The right people who care about the different issues can get behind each other, support one another. Even those of us who don't care about those issues, we don't get in their way. And we make adjustments if we're hurting people unintentionally subconsciously, if we're hurting one another, we listen, we see how we may need, may need to modify some of our behaviors, that's what would make sense to me if we did those things. So instead of this whole, well, you know better, don't rock the boat attitude, my attitude is no. If someone, anyone, anywhere feels like they are being oppressed in any way, I feel like it's our duty to step up to honor the ideals of the country. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That's how I feel about that. So I don't know if you have anything to say about that, to follow up on that, John, but I want to go ahead and uh, next kick to uh, closing out with this article from Alan from B. West because I think it's going to bring out, uh, again, just kind of a lot of thoughts of, in terms of the underlying foundation of what Race Haven is all about, the world that we're trying to speak into existence through dialogue and through collaboration. Do you have anything before I jump into that, John? No, go right ahead, my friend. Okay. So I'm going to, uh, you know, read parts of this article, then I'm going to stop. And, uh, again, it's very short, and we're going to just jump into it. And I just want to make a few points about, you know, just how I feel. And, and John, you're more than happy to jump in as well uh, when I do that. So, again, this is by Alan B. West, and his, the title is, I Can No Longer Remain Silent on Colin Kaepernick. So begin, begin, I'm going to begin reading now. I've kept my peace on this subject, but you can refer to my original comments on the issue of Colin Kaepernick from last year's football season. But now I hear there's a petition of folks who are planning to boycott the NFL if Colin Kaepernick doesn't get picked up by a football team. This is typical of the left who only operates in the world of intimidation, coercion, and violence, threats. So now the progressive socialist left wants to coerce and intimidate a private sector business into accepting one of their chuckleheads. Okay, I'm going to stop there. So, again, what pains me, just in, in the first, you know, three paragraphs, what pains me when I peek into the political world in America, and, the, and one of the main reasons why I keep my, you know, I don't pay attention and I don't participate, is that grown-ups, individuals, I believe he was a politician, 
and, you know, a, a decorated veteran, and he's someone that thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people in this country follow this man. And the language that he uses to, to, to explain something or, or about another American citizen, or just it's, forget American citizen, another global citizen, another human being, another person, the, the language that he uses to explain him and to call him a chucklehead, right there, he loses me. He loses my respect, and he loses me because at the core of everything, we all want the same things in this world. We want to live peacefully. We want to live happily. We want to live the ideals. We want to be free. So if someone is bringing to you and raising awareness about something because they, want, they don't feel that everyone is free and living with the same level of freedom, you call that person a, a chucklehead? And then the other thing that bothers me and another reason why I abstain from politics because we get into the name calling of the leftists and, you know, the progressive socialist left, and, you know, they operate on intimidation, coercion, and violence and threats. And just like all the way that he's setting that up and the fact that that appeals to a certain base is like, again, if for me, I get lost right there because I'm like, can we have like an adult conversation and dialogue where we listen to one another, et cetera, et cetera? And here's the thing. I personally don't claim any political affiliation. I don't claim left, right, middle, backwards, forwards. I don't claim any of that. I have my feelings. I have my beliefs. Come to the table and talk to anyone about theirs, and I believe that if you and I, no matter who you are, no matter what your ideals, no matter what your beliefs are, if we can express an awareness and then share the value behind that awareness, then I'm willing to change up my behavior to meet you somewhere in the middle so that we can create something new, a new reality, so that we can move together both feeling good about our stake or our lot in this life together. That's, that's the framework of dialogue. That's the framework of how I operate in my life. And I think that that's a way to be healthy in the world. And articles like this just produce so much anger and hatred towards other human beings, and I just don't get it. So unless you have something to say, John, I'm going to continue on. Yeah, I'd like to add just one thing, Scott, if I could. And, and I'm, I'm going to sum it up by saying I'm with you 100%. Um, I'll say the only two groups that matter, it's not uh, liberal Democrat, it's not conservative Republican, it's not African American, European, it's, it's, it's you're either aware or you're ignorant. And he's expressing and sharing ignorance in that message. And I'll throw this out now, and you can choose to, to, to dialogue it or not, but I think he's even basically proving the premise that, okay, here's the deal. Colin Kaepernick... It's free to choose whether or not to protest and deal with the consequences. The NFL, also free to choose whether or not to sign them and deal with the consequences. But guess who ultimately controls the, the, the reality? We do. We also, if we choose to be aware, are free to choose to do or not do what we think is right. And I think that's what it boils down to. Everybody wants to criticize Cap for making his stand, but he did what was right for him, and now the debate is whether or not the NFL should or shouldn't sign him. And I'm saying we don't need to control the NFL's decision in legal. We can control 
by saying this is how we feel. We're the fans. We're the people that spend the money that pay all the damn contracts and create the billionaires. But that's why I keep saying we at our root level have got to get our acts together, get our heads out of our butts, and stop doing an us versus them amongst ourselves. Back to you, champ. I agree. I agree. Continuing on, he says, here's the bottom line. Colin Kaepernick utilized his freedom of speech and expression stupidly in protest against our national anthem. Oh, my goodness. That is his right. But guess what? My tender cupcake leftist social justice warriors, there are consequences. If Colin Kaepernick wants to make politicized statements, he is free to do so. And NFL teams also have a freedom not to hire him. You delusional leftists seem to believe we have to put up with your insidious proclamations and actions. We do not. Can y'all be so intellectually challenged to believe that you can say and do whatever you wish and all others must accommodate and acquiesce to your whims? This is reflective of the childlike, immature manner in which you live your lives. You throw a tantrum in public and expect not to get spanked. Okay, I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to address what he just said. So, again, you guys know how I feel about the language in terms of calling people cakes, leftist, social justice warriors, um, you know, you know, in a sarcastic way and all, and, and all those various things. And for him to say that, you know, Kaepernick stupidly protested our national anthem where he, where, okay, stupidly, again, never addressing, and mind you, he never addressed the reason why Colin Kaepernick was protesting. And then he also says, you know, if he's, you know, he's free to, he's free to make his statement, but the NFL teams also have the freedom not to hire him. I agree with that statement. Okay. He also goes on to say, um, you know, you delusional leftists seem to believe that we have to put up with your insidious proclamations and actions, blah, blah, blah. And then he also talks about, you know, how uh, basically leftists act childlike and think that people must accommodate and acquiesce to your whims. So I, I take that to be, you know, where I've seen some, some, some conservatives talk about, you know, the fact that why do, um, you know, people protest and, 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 you know, walk through the streets and pick in and everything when they don't, when they quote unquote, don't get their way. So, and again, what I, what I don't think people realize is that it's because of the power dynamics. If the power dynamics weren't what they were, then that wouldn't have to happen. Like people wouldn't have to protest or rally um, or in some cases, in some cases riot to be heard. And the fact, and so for me, what's underlying all of this is the question why do we live in a society where that's what it takes to be heard? Why do a segment of the population have to be taken in order to be heard? And the reason why, if we look critically, is, again, because those people who have access, the people who have access, the people who have power, the people who have resources, those people are sitting in a position where it's, it's like, well, I don't need to – "Quote unquote, raise a raise a you know a, a ruckus or have fits or whatever you want to call it. Those tests and the riots and all these various things, they don't need to do it. In a lot of instances, I hear where it's like conservatives, you know, are the ones who feel like you know they don't need to do that or they've never rioted, they've never protested, they've never picketed. Um, even though they uh, there are examples of, of of quote unquote conservative people doing those things, not necessarily." Um, you know, I'm sorry, of, of, of protesting, et cetera, but not on a grand scale that you'll see the other, you know, side of people, I guess the people that he calls uh, leftists, right? 
So with that being said, again, it's like, what, what, when are we going to wake up and realize that none of that is effective? Like, why do we have to communicate with one another that way? And my issue when I read these things and when I just observe our political landscape and I, I observe how things get done, and what I wanted to, to use this article as a way to bring out is that I believe that it's high time that we create some, something new. I believe that it's high time that we create a new way of communicating with one another that's more, that's more healthy because the, and, and more functional. Because right now, the majority of everything that we do and everything that this country was built on, let me not say everything, but a lot of the things that this country was built on in terms of the way we communicate with each other and how we get things done is all built on dysfunction and is all built on uh, power, uh, uh, imbalance of power, and is all built on inequality. And until people are willing to admit that and willing to come to the table as equals on all levels with everything, we're going to continue to have the same problems, and the same systems are going to continue to affect us all in different ways. And one of the things that I like to bring to the light that I don't know if a lot of people really see it this way, and I think I may be one of the few, is that you can show me any ism. We talk about racism on this show. And my thing that I say to people all the time is that systemic racism affects every one of us. It just affects us in different ways. It affects us in different ways. So for those of, of us who feel and see the oppression side of systemic racism, and we speak up on it, and we call ourselves activists, on whatever level or we speak out on whatever level and then those people who are irritated by it and who have to be inconvenienced by it and those people who have to worry about their safety or their property because of the anger or the, the riots or the protests or whatever, you're being inconvenienced by the same system. It's just inconveniencing you in a different way. And there's other things, other ways that those systems inconvenience all sides of these issues that I'm not even bringing to the forefront, but if we did some critical thinking together around it, we could figure out and make a whole laundry list of them. So my whole thing and my whole appeal and what I hope that my voice will be, um, you know, through, for the rest of my life, I hope that I will be a voice towards creating something new because the old reality needs innovating. It's just that simple. It just needs innovating. We live in a world of innovation. We need new technological innovations in terms of social innovation. The same way we we need them and we've had them throughout our lifetimes in technology, and in terms of uh, computer things and et cetera, et cetera. I'm gonna give you an analogy that comes to mind for me. You know, there's something that's about to happen right now with uh, cars. We're gonna have autonomous cars really soon, self-driving autonomous cars. And you know, 20 years ago, that seemed so far off. It seemed so far-fetched. 20, 30 years ago, it's like, how is that possible? How can we go from where we are to a car driving itself? But what, we realized, what most of us didn't realize is that we needed something first before we can get to that. We needed something called the Internet, thinking about what was going to be that connector, what was going to be the foundation for all this innovation that we're seeing in our lifetime right now that none of us could see in our childhood. We, we saw it. We thought about it. We dreamed about it. We saw cartoons, TVs, movies, but we couldn't make the connections in our mind because we didn't have any concept of something called the Internet. But the Internet is now that, that great connector that is the basis for all these amazing innovations. So what I posit is that dialogue, the skill, the skill of dialogue is that connector for social innovation. The skill of dialogue is the connector for ending poverty, for ending, 
you know, the level, the high levels of crime and criminality in this country, the high levels of substance and drug abuse that's in this country, isms, racism, sexism, adult, adultism, carnism. Uh, I can give a bunch more, but all the various isms, uh, you know, that are in this country, some of which I've just learned about recently, like the last two I, I just mentioned. So, I mean, ageism is another one I wanted to say. So if we can use and learn and spread this thing called dialogue, John, then I think we give people the tools that, we, that they need and that we need to truly, truly solve problems and get out of this power struggle. Because as long as there's a power struggle, as long as there's have, have nots, we're always going to be fighting the same things. And if people are really, really sick and tired of it, really sick and tired of it, then it's high time we try something new. And we need to introduce this new technology. And from day one, that's what Race Haven, Race Haven has been. And Race Haven will continue to be a vehicle for really promoting dialogue. So the last thing I'll say before I give you a chance to jump back in, John, um, is that when I read, when I'm reading by Alan B. West and I hear him calling people names and I hear him expressing how Colin Kaepernick stupidly protested against the national anthem, this would be total, this article would be totally different if Alan West said, here's my perspective, what's yours? Here, here's the awareness. The perspective is the awareness. Here are the values that underlie my perspective. Because a lot of times, the values that we share are what the common ground is because you got to have common ground if you're going to dialogue. So when you start with your awareness and then you add a value to it, and if the value, again, is one nation under God, I'm just giving an example of one, it could be the, the, the uh, pledge, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. We can all agree as an underlying value that we truly value and believe that everyone deserves liberty and justice, then how can we, talk, how can we work towards the middle? How can we compromise? How can I listen to you and what, what's meaningful to me? And how can you listen to me about what's meaningful? I'm sorry, how can I listen to you about what's meaningful to you and you listen to me about what's meaningful to me? And then we work towards a mid-ground where we both can lay our heads on the bed at night feeling like we've been heard and then actions and adjustments are being made to make sure that all parties' uh, interests are being met in some capacity and all parties aren't being hurt, more importantly. I think that's possible, John. I'll let you jump back in. I agree. It's not just possible. It's, it's required. It's essential. Scott, you said so many great things, and honestly, um, I don't even want to deter people from the thoughts that you just laid out there other than to just say one thing to reiterate. You mentioned it. It's the haves and the have-nots. We as the have-nots, and I don't care who it is, if you're listening to our voice, guess what? You're a have-not. You know, it's one half of 1% of the population that are the haves. And I won't turn that dialogue on right now, but the point is we're all have-nots. So we either come together and recognize it and say we're going to do the right thing for all of us as have-nots, or we're going to keep just, like you said, us versus them, but it's not the have-nots against the have-nots, it's the have-nots against each other. That's the problem. That's where we've been stuck. And, you know, again, I thank you multiple times on a lot of my Facebook lives, and I don't think you get to hear it, but I thank you for creating this uh, environment 
for inviting me to be a part of it and, quite frankly, for teaching me and educating me as much as I can sit here and say I'm this and I'm all that. You've really uh, enabled me to grow as a person and to, to think much bigger than I already did. And I owe that to you, Scott, because it is the dialogue and it is the critical thinking and it's the systems-based thinking that you've allowed me to, uh, to evolve and to hopefully become more open-minded in areas I didn't even know existed. That, to me, is why I will always come back here, because if you can do that with me, we can do that with anyone. I appreciate that, John. And, you know, we're definitely going to uh, wrap up here. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, this was a, a show full of solutions, so I'm going to, um, you know, not go into a solution segment because I believe we kind of gave our solutions within our comments about what we were discussing. And I, I appreciate you sharing that, John. That means a lot. That gives me fuel to keep going. Um, oftentimes I feel like I can't articulate what's in my head when I start talking the way that it's in my head before I start talking. But, you know, it's always reassuring when you say what you said uh, just now. I, I truly appreciate that. And I want to do more. I wish I had time to do more because it's so much more unpacking that needs to be done. And, you know, one of the next shows that I would like to do, John, and it's, it's interesting you said that, is I want to do a show on how we've grown since we started Race Haven because I've changed so much since starting Race Haven. You know, there's so many awarenesses and so many understandings that have come since starting, and I would like to do a show where we can kind of, you know, discuss some of those changes and awarenesses. Like, for example, when I started this show, I used to call people black and I used to call some people white. And now I reject that because I see race as a system and I see race as a system that's a tool for divisiveness. So I no longer want to perpetuate that. I no longer, no longer want to amplify those things. That's just one example of many. And I want to kind of do a show where I, I start, you know, I share those certain things for me and you kind of just hinted at some of them for you um, because this show is not a stagnant show. This is a show of growth. And, you know, we're, we're both growing. We've grown a lot, you know, since doing this show. And I want to share that with our listeners, and I hope that a lot of our listeners are still with us and growing with us through all the episodes and seeing. You probably can hear that change in, 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 in the way we speak and the way we articulate things. So there's more growth to come. And, um, again, you know, we're going to wrap up. You know, that's, that's our time for today. I really appreciate everyone listening. Um, you know, John, if you could just take a moment to tell our listeners how they can best connect with you and your work, that would be awesome. Sure. It's, uh, it's real easy to find me. Uh, you just go on Facebook, John Costino. Um, I've got a ton of videos, so it's real easy to, uh, to figure out what I stand for and what I'm doing. And you can always email me at johncostino at yahoo.com. And uh, in closing, Scott, again, I thank you for caring enough and making the time. I know it's not that you're sitting around lounging by the pool trying to figure out what to do with your time. I realize uh, the commitment you make, and that's why I thank you. And if it's at all possible ever, you know, when you call, I'll be there to support and, and join you on these calls. Thank you, John, and likewise. I know that it's, it's not easy for you to carve out this time as well, so I appreciate you doing that um, in the midst of everything that you have going on. Uh, it's truly, you know, uh, something that we're both passionate about, and we do it just out of the, you know, the desire to uh, leave this world better for the next generation. So with that being said, before I close out, I just want to encourage our listeners, those of you who've been with us for a while, those of you who truly are growing with us and you get something out of this show, uh, to, to visit Patreon page and consider becoming a patron. A patron 
to support the, the growth and maintenance of the show. Uh, you know, I would have truly, truly appreciated. Uh, you can get there one of two ways. You can go to racehavenpodcast.com and click on um, offers. Um, you could also uh, go to patreon.com forward slash racehaven, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com forward slash racehaven podcast. Uh, and if you do that, you will go to our Patreon page. Um, and you can become a supporter for as little as one buck a month just to continue to support uh, the growth and development of this show. So with that being said, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on the web. uh, You can find us on Stitcher Radio. You can find us on iTunes. Join, subscribe, continue to follow the show, continue to support the show. Tell friends about the show. Tell family about the show. And until next time, I appreciate every single last one of you. I love y'all. Remember, we are all smarter when we think together. Peace. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.